Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 129 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. I don't know if all of you believe in divine intervention or not, but I certainly do. And today's guest, I feel like, was put into my life through divine intervention. Through God and Andy somehow working together to get her to send a message to me to reach out to me. I feel like we are similar souls and our mission really for our lives moving forward after the loss of our children really are very much the same. So I am so excited to introduce you to Amanda Hudson's mom, also known as Buzzy's mom. Enjoy. so much, Amanda, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Absolutely. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I just have to start out by recounting the story of how we got connected. So just because it's so, so meaningful to me, and I may actually even get a little bit emotional about it just because it meant a lot. So Amanda wrote to me now, maybe a month and a half ago about her organization and the organization, the formal name, I, I don't want to get this wrong. It was Buzzy's Bees. Buzzy's Bees. Okay. Yes. Buzzy's Bees. So this hit me unbelievably because my son Andy's favorite book was called Buzzy the Bumblebee. And I'm going to hold up a copy. So if you're watching on video, here is the copy of the book Buzzy the Bumblebee. And Andy loved this book and we read it all the time. When he was in, I think, first grade, he had to dress up as a character in a book, and we dressed him up as Buzzy the Bumblebee. I still have the Bumblebee costume up in the bedroom. I mean, for me, when I read Buzzy's Bees, it just was like, it was 100% Andy, and I felt like, this is meant to be. Like, I need to talk to this woman because anyone who just named an organization Buzzy's Bees has got to be pretty awesome. <laughs> and I felt like it was like orchestrated by Andy somehow from above to have this happen and for you to reach out. So again, and now I'm all crying, but it just means a lot. And I am so excited to talk to you. <laughs> yes, likewise. Um, yes, when Marcy responded. She was so quick saying, you know what? I have chills and explaining about the book and I'd never seen the book. And we've had the organization for about five years now. And I immediately ordered like four copies because <laughs> I'm not crazy. It is a sweet book too, isn't it? 
It is so sweet. It is a sweet book. So the book of Buzzy the Bumblebee is that Buzzy's a bumblebee and he's leading this wonderful little life until suddenly he learns the scientific fact that he should not be able to fly. That bumblebees are too big for how, how what their wing size is and they shouldn't be able to fly. And so because of that, Buzzy forgets how to fly and he's like all scared because he's got to get back home to his mom and dad and he's going to have to walk now because he doesn't know how to fly because bumblebees really can't fly and then the whole story of the book is him then getting that getting his ability to fly back and believing in his heart because just because his head suddenly thought he couldn't fly his heart knew that he still could and so that's why I love reading that book to Andy because he would get anxious and nervous and he'd get too much in his head and you'd have to get back to just believe with your heart and not worry about some of the stuff in your head. So that's why it's just a beautiful book overall. It really is. So well done for kids. And it's like, honestly, like every parent's wish for their kid to just have hope yeah. and no fear. Yeah. Right. Right, so. and to just believe in your heart and not worry about what other people are saying. Just think about what you feel and what and the love that you have. So anyway, and it's so funny because I told my husband this, and he's like, well, I'm sure they know about the book. They they probably, that had to do with the name of the organization. And then when I wrote to you, you're like, you'd never heard of it. So that's why it was so great. <laughs> it was so great for me to be able to introduce that to you because that makes it even more powerful. I think the Buzzies be message. Totally. Totally. Yes, absolutely. It was just, yes, for sure. Divine intervention. And when I got your email back, I just had chills and I'm like, you know what, this is so cool. Cause like I said, our organization is five years old and I'm just now starting to kind of spread the word and start the podcast circuit. So you're my first formal podcast. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So, even more so, right? Yeah, yeah, it was so meant to be. I was meant to be your first interview, I think. Yes. Oh. Right. Yes. So why don't we talk, first of all, about your son, Hudson, also known as Buzzy. So yes. I just wanted to hear all about him. And maybe we can talk about that nickname and how that even all came to be as well. Sure. So my oldest son, Calvin, is quite a bit older and he was came along in our journey of marriage a little bit sooner than we had intended to. Um, so we were going to wait a little bit in between kids, but then we experienced secondary infertility. So once we experienced secondary infertility, um, there was a lot of things that happened. I went to um, my OB for a scan just because it had been a couple years since we were trying and I had had, you know, my son in like a rural area of Oregon on the Oregon coast. And then we had moved back to like the Portland metropolitan area. And so it was a new position. And I just went in with the, the OB, the um, ultrasound technician. And she said, I just want, I'm curious if you had any help having Calvin your first. And I said, no, like it wasn't planned. Not at all. She's like, well, your um, uterus is extremely tilted. I said, oh, we are, wow. And she like drew it on. She's like, there actually is no direct path. And I was like, wow, okay. okay. <laughs> so I'm like, where do we go from here? Well, um, I was in healthcare, but in um, sleep medicine. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get those medical records from this rural hospital in Seaside, Oregon. And I don't really want to go too much into it. But basically it was emergency C-section. They were panicked and my uterus got put in upside down. 
So I, in fact, had no direct path. And so then we started, I did a couple procedures and we were able to flip it. And I got pregnant with Hudson very quickly after that. Um, At that point, my son was almost five, my oldest one. And I wouldn't say it was like a perfect delivery, but I was so excited after just experiencing the infertility to be pregnant and have another boy. Uh, My husband, the minute we found out it was a boy called his brother and they were the same years apart. So my brother, my husband is the baby brother of his brother, Jason. And it was like the exact same, like five years apart, two boys, like just, mm-hmm. so I just remember him being so excited and we just, we were so excited. Calvin didn't take to it a hundred percent having the long gap in between. He's like, really? Life is all about me. What are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here, people? And he's not going to be able to be fun. He's not going to be any fun. <laughs> Right. He's not fun, right? But he came and he had this whole black head of hair, super fuzzy, every which way, just adorable. The initial delivery was a bit tough. Um, it was a scheduled C-section. He came out and he had beautiful color initially. And then they said, oh, he doesn't have the meconium or, or doesn't have the stuff, the purpley white stuff on him. It's He's turning blue. So they took him with my husband to be on a CPAP machine and... It was good. We didn't, there was no NICU at that hospital. I didn't really think had, there was no reason for me to believe that anything would go wrong. And it was fine. It ended up being fine. He just, and then, and he was kind of, he was my smallest baby, but he got so big. Like he was just the chubbiest little, like he was like a tank at three months old. And I was buying like nine and 12 month old clothes. And he just had this huge black head of hair and just like this big old like tank guy. And he was just so happy and so amazing. You know, he was so happy. He just rolled with it. He just went along with everything we wanted to do. And it was hard having the gap, right? It's like, Hudson doesn't care if we go to the zoo. He's six months old, but we bundled him up and he was just happy to look at everything. Right. Right. And he went to all Calvin's football games and he just did everything. We just plopped him in the stroller and off we went with everything. And he just, he was great. He always was super charismatic, super happy. Yeah. Just great to be around. So talk about the nickname. Okay. So like I said, he was born with a full head of hair and he, it was Heidi buddy initially, but then it was like, started talking about his fuzzy hair. So we called him buzz fuzz mm-hmm. a lot. And this was stuck the whole time and almost, and then towards the end, it wasn't like we dropped the fuzz. Cause at this point he had like a long head of hair and he was buzzy. We just called him buzzy and he was just happy and cheery and like a, bumblebee and just we all that's we always called him yeah you said your husband just likes to have nicknames for kind of everybody and oh yeah no like from the minute he was a kid I have a bazillion of them my kids have a bazillion of them in his short 13 month life I think Hudson had those are the ones that stand out now but had probably 15 of them and even inanimate objects I mean soft is subby cereal is certain I mean it's just weird I mean but it's (laughs) endearing and it's his way of connecting with people and it's funny because my husband is also a huge guy he's six seven and so it's like he's this giant like and he's just, it's very endearing, but some of them are not always wanted nicknames, but for the most part, they're. <laughs> but Buzzy was a cute one and awesome one. It was a great one. It was a great one. Yeah. Yes. So he was doing pretty well then, right? He had a little bit of a rough entry, but then he was fine. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally fine. I mean, the regular stuff, he, um, he never really did a traditional daycare kind of a little bit towards the end and had the cold head and foot mouth probably six weeks before he passed away. Um, but just, I mean, the regular daycare crud, right? Yeah. Like just the stuff that everybody gets, you know, it's not, it's nothing that ever felt super out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go into talking about what happened with Hudson then? Yeah, for sure. So um, my son had had a birthday party here at the Chuck E. Cheese type place. And he was, I mean, Hudson wasn't feeling a hundred percent, but it was, there was no fever and he kind of had had a runny nose and just kind of off a little lethargic to towards his bubbly personality. And he came home and I realized he was teething. So he was super snotty. And my cousin was in town for the birthday party. And I was originally just thinking, you know, we're just going to go home and have a quiet night. But she was in town from Seattle and she was also, she came over with my husband's good friend and we were just hanging out and he just was not going down. So eventually I gave him a Highlands teething tablet. I put him down and he eventually fell asleep, but I nursed him for probably an hour. Normally that was like a 20 minute affair. Mm-hmm. And just, and so he was down and we were co-sleeping. Um, so he, he went down, but I came back out and eventually went to bed when I was just like completely tired. And I think it was definitely a cold making its rounds. So like I said, I was nursing and he always woke up at 4 a.m. to nurse. And biological time clock to this day, I woke up and he had not woken up and it was 4.15 in the morning. And I was like, oh, maybe he's just sleeping. He was on top of the covers at the end of the bed with his head facing towards the end of the bed. And I picked him up and um, our room is really dark. We actually don't have any overhead lighting. Um, and I walked into the hallway and he was not breathing. Yeah. And um, I just started frantically yelling. And those friends that were over had spent the night in our guest room. And, they, my husband and his friend Ray spent over 15 minutes training off, giving him CPR and I had to walk away. So I left and I just felt like the ambulance was taking forever. And the, my, they were being coached by 911 on the proper method for CPR and stayed with it the whole time. There's these little things that come back. Like later, my cousin, it was on my cousin's phone and she said I had 1% battery that should have never happened. Like the phone should have never lasted. And, you know, so they were coached. And I just remember standing in a nightgown in my driveway, just wailing, like waiting for them to come. And yeah. And uh, my older son was there and visibly shaken. And he was taken to my grandparents' house with my cousin and yeah, so he perfectly healthy, other than, you know, the typical baby stuff and just unexpectedly passed in the middle of the night. And later we were connected to the SUDC Foundation. So sudden unexplained death in childhood. Unexplained death in children in childhood. Yep. So that was the start of our very long journey. But yeah, still incredibly traumatic. I feel like to the six weeks leading up to. Hudson's death date or angel birthday or whatever you want to call it. I relive that in my dreams every single night. 
Um, and it's just, it's, it has never gone away <laughs> every year. I'm like, maybe I can, like, I just think to the universe, maybe I could just do this one night instead of every night for six weeks leading up to that day. But so far it's consistent. I mean, part of me is thankful for the memories, I guess. Um, but it's just, it's very, it was very traumatic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this has been five years ago now. Um, yes, he will in, April, in May, May 15th, it will be um, six years. Yeah. 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 May 15th, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andy died on the 15th, too, the 15th of August. And somehow the 15th always just doesn't seem the same after that, even any month for yeah. some reason. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So then I know, I'm sure you had to go through the autopsy and all of that business too, because you desperately want to know why, right? You want to know what happened. And mm-hmm. So there's a caveat. Yeah. <laughs> so we were so traumatized. My husband rode in the ambulance with Hudson to the hospital. I was driven by the friend mm-hmm. and it was... 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. So there's no traffic on a Sunday morning. And we get there. And I'm not far behind, but my husband said there is nobody there. Yeah. Like waiting, to, you know. And so they knew, right? Like there was, he just kept saying there was nobody there waiting to help him. Like there was nobody there to save him. And so they had not known, like they could do everything they could. Yeah. And he was just you know laying there but because there was nothing there was no accident there was no medical mm-hmm. noted of medical issues they sent in investigators to the hospital mm-hmm. so before we even got to see a chaplain they started pulling and i off one by one to yeah. with a sheriff be interviewed with a coroner and the lead detective of the sheriff's department and then the coroner said after like a very intense interrogation. What level of autopsy would you like to receive? There's one that is required by the state. Mm-hmm. There is one that would give us a little bit more information. And then the third level the cremation will be the only option. And in that moment, I have some Catholic roots. And so, and I don't, I know this is not true for all Catholicism and I'm definitely not practicing, but um, kind of in this Roman Catholic perspective, it's actually a sin to be, to be cremated. Mm -hmm. So I had this idea of like, he has to be buried. Like, I'm not going to let him, like, if there is a God or whatever has happened in a divine, I'm not going to let him go to hell just because I chose that I needed to know know more. And that was just, oh yeah. I mean, just level whatever is required. Yeah. Well, and you don't, you don't know. I mean, these are such ridiculous decisions to have to make in that kind of moment anyway. Right. 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 It was just terrible. And I remember that chaplain, like just walking in, handing us a quilt and walking out, like it felt so cold. So like, and I had, I was just, I, was in a wheelchair. I was puking. There was just no, I just, I could not even keep my own thoughts straight. Right. Of course not. You know, and so just have to make these decisions. And then I wish that I had, I known that we had, we could have turned away the investigators. Like we had 48 hours. We had certain things that were not required to do before we left the hospital. We also could have had them keep the body 
for lack of better terms, on ice and made that decision on the autopsy later. And we just had none of that information. No, of course you didn't. I mean, there's no reason for you to have ever known any of that. Right. Right. But I mean, I did go down the rabbit hole. So I mentioned in the story that night I gave them Highlands teething tablets and they're obviously not regulated by the FDA because they're a homeopathic teething tablet from Oregon. And two weeks after he passed, there was traces of arsenic found in Highlands teething tablets. Mm -hmm. And so I sent that into the lab and all the things. Right. And he, you know, it just, it was, it was a rabbit hole that I, in Mm -hmm. some ways, went down for sure but it wasn't ever much further than that and actually at the time sudden unexplained death in childhood was not a code a coded behavior or a coded diagnosis in the state of Oregon yeah and so that actually just came through this October there was a lobby for it and so it's just now that and everything is just coded as asphyxiation yeah and that's that's hard because that that just feels different, right? That feels like somehow it was somebody's fault. You know, when you think about asphyxiation, that's what it seems like. So that's good that that's a more accepted term now in Oregon. That seems weird that they didn't have that before. I wonder if other states are like that as well. I don't even know. There's a few. So I I do obviously have my own, so I'm not the world's best ambassador, but I am an ambassador for the SUDC Foundation here in Oregon. And it is... Yeah, there was a few. I think we were one of like four or five that were left to go to go ahead and see that code through. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk about what your journey has been like since then, since that time, and what you've done because you are now doing some pretty amazing things. But Thank you. let's just talk about kind of how that came about because it doesn't all of a sudden pop up to Buzzy's Bees organization. There's a process. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I actually listened, uh, Marcy, to your podcast earlier of your 100th episode of just the Q&A with you and your husband. And one thing that I thought was really amazing is you went through all the, these names of these wonderful people that stood by your side um, that did really amazing things. And our family really rallied really rallied for us. And I planned the funeral, people flew in and they were just our advocates. And had we had a roadmap, maybe things would have been different at the hospital, but the hospital was so traumatic that we're going to, they were, they just like, okay, well, we're going to take control now. Like we're going to forge ahead. This is going to be done properly. So the funeral was planned. The thing, things happened and just fell into place. And I later heard that some of that was definitely a struggle, but I had an immense amount of support. I had a friend, Tina, as well, that was boarding a cruise in Seattle, and she woke up, she got there, and she was parking at my other good friend's house, Mm -hmm. and she was about to board this cruise ship, and Kaylin, and they weren't friends, they were kind of from two different walks of life, came out and said, I just got off the phone with Andrew, which is my dad, and um, Hudson's dad. And so they kind of consoled each other and she's like, I don't know. Do I get on the cruise? Do I not get on the cruise? And it was with her partner and they said, you know what? We're here already. There's a lot of people at home. But the minute she got back from that, Mm -hmm. it was like nonstop, right? So she could fill in where these other people had been here 
that week. And now we live a couple miles from each other. And um, she had a daughter at the time that played a ton with Hudson. They were only a few years apart. And um, so it just, you know, it transcends. And then my sister-in-law flew in right away from Seattle. She's now the um, secretary and board member of our organization. She does so much and she just made things happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right after Hudson passed away, her other sister-in-law ended up getting breast cancer, but she just, and I remember her saying, Oh, it's the season of bath. Like, and then I really absorbed it. I'm like, you know what, all these things you're doing, you showed up for me. Like it was a season of Nate and I, she, if we had said, get in the car, cause she was in the middle of moving to Seattle, which is a three hour drive. Like she was there every weekend. She's like, what do you want to do today? Do you want to, you know, just like, you know, that one that takes you for the walk. So my sister-in-law, Julie, who was just instrumental, you know, I had other friends that just showed up to cry. My friend Danielle, she lived an hour and a half away and she later kind of did a lot of the print for Buzzies. So people kind of fell in that line, but just cried and cried. And she's just like, I can't, you know, it's the worst thing. Didn't that mean so much to you though? much because I just can't even say enough about how much it means for somebody to show up and cry with you because they feel like that's the wrong thing and everyone would think that's the wrong thing and before Andy died I would have thought that's the wrong thing like the last thing I should do is show up and cry with somebody but that's what you need right I, I mean it's so hard if somebody comes in and like let's go do this, that they're trying to cheer you up. That's not what you need. You need someone to sit with you in the dark place and not be scared. Right. And it's the empathy. I mean, that's true empathy. And I think so many people think like, oh, I'm not going to show up and cry because like they're already sad. Am I going to make them sad if I cry or this is their loss, not my loss. Why am I crying? That's so stupid. But really it's like truly like that's the impact of our kiddos, right? Like we need to know that they've touched lives to the point that we've been, you know, it's like this given this take. And it's like, if I'm the only one walking around crying, it's like, what's wrong with you? But if somebody's doing it side by side, it's like, yeah, this is huge. You know, it makes me think of my buzzy book again, a little bit and like, get out of your own head and just trust your heart. Because if your heart is wanting to cry, that's okay. Sit with her, cry with her. Don't uh-huh. let your head tell you something different that what your heart should or shouldn't be feeling or what you should or shouldn't do. Just go with right. what is the, what is feeling like the right thing. No. Right. Yes. Follow your heart. I think whenever you're trying to support people, follow your heart, stop questioning, you know, mm-hmm. what's next. Right. And so, and I think, you know, as much as we talk about people that did the right thing, there also are people that did the wrong thing and bereaved parents just by voicing, wow, that was a really crappy thing to say, or that was a really crappy thing to do. It doesn't mean do nothing. Yeah. Right. If right. It comes from a place of your heart. If it comes from your heart, if it comes from your inner being and you truly love that person, they'll say later, we'll talk about what, how that was really weird for me, but it's coming from a genuine place. You don't ever fault somebody that's really trying and trying to do things mm-hmm. from a place of heart and caring. Yes. And I mean, I'd rather right? have somebody say the wrong thing than say nothing for sure. Right. Because if you say right. the wrong thing, now we can talk about how it was the wrong thing. But if you say right. nothing, then what do I do? If you're saying nothing to me, then I feel like I can't say anything at all like we haven't even started a conversation I'd, right. I'd just rather have it start badly than have it not start mm-hmm. 
for sure. Yeah. So I think that that for me in the beginning, it was really kind of this network of friends. Um, my husband and I did grieve very differently. Um, his brother really showed up for him. I mean, if you even, they did the same thing. So they're both in financial planning. And so, you know, their life insurance and, you know, so it's like he, his brother and his brother's other partner at work just took Nate's book and just did it. But even if he was driving to an appointment, he would just like, nope, turning the car around, I'll be 10 minutes late for this appointment. Like anything he needed, he was just, you know, they, people just showed up. So his brother, and then the people, the folks that were there that night. So my cousin, um, Candace, I was just on a trip with my aunts and my cousin. And it's those realizations later, like she's the one that does not shy away from it. Like she lives in Seattle. She texts me every death date, every birthday, every single time she's having a hard time. Um, because we know, I mean, we know it was hard. I mean, she's not even married or having kids and she is literally watching the worst thing unfold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worst nightmare. She's watching happen and she continued to show up. She, I, yeah. you know, did what I could to show up for her. She always, always like texts or calls or even says like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time. Yeah. But this Facebook memory popped up and it's me holding Hudson in the hospital when he was one day old, Yeah, you know, like, or I, you know, it's like, you know, so it's these people and work, well, there's quite an age gap for kids, you know, 10 and 15. That's a weird mm-hmm. age gap. And now we're to the point where, you know, as you older, those things don't matter. And I'm so mm-hmm. thankful for that time together and how it's bridged our friendship. Cause I don't think we'd ever talk as much as we do or be there for each other as much as we're able to without having this kind of really unfortunate thing in the background right yeah and it's you just wonder why things happen when they happen things like that but Mm -hmm. I mean it ended up it was a blessing for you that she was there with you that night she was able to even though as traumatic as it was for her and how I'm sure you wish she wouldn't have had to witness that for her to have been in that space with you, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's right. nothing that compares to that. No, not, a, you know, no, no. And so it was, you know, and so it was a lot of people, you know, it was a lot of people showing up. And even at one point, um, we did do couples counseling and um, we tried it, the first couple people we went to was horrible. We had a really bad one too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I No joke. It was like, we sat down on the couch. She said she did grief. And we say, our son just passed away three weeks ago, unexpectedly in the middle of the night. How does that make you feel? How? And honestly, I still remember this to this day, even in the biggest fog that I was in, my husband stands up and walks out and says, I think we're done. And I said, I think we're done. Like, I'm going to follow him. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that works for us. It's funny how we could both kind of laugh about it a little bit because we went to, you know, so I'm a pediatrician, obviously. And and so our complex care coordinator decides she's going to arrange counseling for everyone because she doesn't know what to do. Right. Everyone wants to do something like we're going to arrange counseling for everyone. So we are everyone in our family had a counselor within days, I think. So, yeah, my husband and I showed up, too. And it was this couple couples counselor lady and we were sitting on the couch and she she um crouched down like she was like crouched 
in front of us, like, so that she could be closer, I think. But it was really weird because I'm thinking to myself, that can't be comfortable, right? She was like in a catcher position as a baseball player pretty much the whole time, the whole time. It was just very bizarre and just felt weird. And we got done and my husband like looks at me and says, we are never going back there again. Like, okay, we are never going back there again. And what's funny, I don't know her name. They never even sent us a bill. So I don't. I don't even know. I have no idea what happened with any of it, but it's just, it's just weird. And you just need to find what's right for you. And that was clearly not right for us. And just. No, yeah. no. And I mean, but nobody was stopping. Right. And so the person we ended up finding the next person, it just, yeah, there was these people. And so my aunt is a social worker here in Portland and she started calling this woman every single day. And said, I know you're full. I know you're full, but you have got to take my niece. You've got to take my niece. And you know, it's like divine intervention when somebody is so casual, right? So we show up in her office in a high rise in downtown Portland. And she says, okay, you're here. Spill it. Cause she, her practice was closed. She's ready to retire. She's like, and that for us was like, that's real. Right. Yeah. She's like, okay, you're here. You made yourself, you made your way to the sofa. <laughs> I'm here. This is what I do. I only do grief counseling. She was an incredible human and said, okay, you're here. I have all your back notes. Spill it. What do you want to talk about? You know, it just was like, okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's awesome when it just works out like that. Cause with mine right. lady that I ended up with too, she was a grief counselor and, and I had three people tell me about her and it was finally with number three. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. This is the third person that's given the the exact same name. I think I probably should call her. And she too right. was closed, but she got my phone call. I left a message. She got my phone call. She called me back and she said, I've been waiting for you to call me. I've been praying that you would call me someday. And it had been months oh. after Andy died. But like right. she just knew because I had sent, you know, I in pediatrics, I had sent patients to their practice and she actually sent a book called Tear Soup to my office Mm -hmm. and to my home. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was her for months, actually. She didn't tell me that she was the one that sent me the book until we were far into counseling. But it's funny how it just was like meant to be to work out that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can't explain it any other way except that had that third person not told me, I'm not sure that I would have done it because I was very turned off by the first woman. Then we did mm-hmm. kind of do a grief support, which seemed good. And it is good. It was good. But I yeah. did need more than that. But I didn't think I needed mm-hmm. more than that at the time. Right. 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 Well, and here we, yeah, totally. And here we have the Dougie Center, which is like world oh, yeah. famous and, you know, childhood bereavement. And my son went through it and we went through it too. Initially, when my son started, my they offer an adult group mm-hmm. as a bystander. And unique to this situation, because they serve all kids through all types of bereavement, it was the siblings group. So everybody that was in the adult group was a parent or a primary caregiver mm-hmm. who had lost a child, right? And mm-hmm. so it was like, it centered a little bit more on truly what we did need. And we didn't go upstairs initially. My husband said, I'm not going to walk up those stairs and listen to all these sad stories and all these bad things that can happen to our only living child. Oh. And I said... Okay. I get that. Well, then we kept progressing with Jill and she said, you know, in my experience, people who truly take the next step in their grief journey receive some sort of group support. 
Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And so the next week we do it together. We walk up those stairs and my goodness, Nate's the one that talks the whole time. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) it's something else's turn, you know, like patting him on the knee. Like we need to, you know, um, And so, and it was the best thing. And really when it's all led by the kid, when Calvin was ready to, they call it close, they do a rock ceremony and close. I was like, are you sure? Cause that meant we had to close. So I was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And, you know, and I had had told to our group leader, I said, is this normal? She goes, Oh, the parents are never done. <laughs> She's like, they would do this, you know, like eventually you just got to let go. And I said, okay, okay. You know, I'll find other ways. But that two years that we did, that was, you know, was the best thing. And it ended up being, you know, and we did it cons- really consistently, very heavy for a year. Yeah. And I think for me, the best thing about that, there was another couple who had lost their 14 year old son and they had two kids that went that attended um they were around Calvin's age and um they to see them five years down the line in their journey even though they're still there at five years standing straight up and accomplishing goals Mm -hmm. was the best gift that I felt like I ever received from a perfect stranger I mean eventually they weren't strangers but it was like they just seen them as a couple come together and forge that path and continue to live. Yeah. um, And continue to be, I was, yeah. You know, it was just seeing that other, I mean, it just, yeah. Ours, ours that we go to is Starlight Ministries. And now I actually facilitate a virtual support group that they do, but they have about a two year curriculum too. So it's, it's similar in that. Um, Not that you can't go longer, but, the the goal is is kind of it's a two-year kind of curriculum and I Stephanie who's now employed by Starlight Ministries she was in that very first groove group that I was in and she lost her 12 year old and she was one year further along than me almost 13 months so just over a year longer and from that moment on every time I did something I'd always look and think well you know what Stephanie did this you know, mm-hmm. because I see somebody that's one year further than me. And I think if Stephanie can do it, maybe I can too. And it's totally. just so yeah. helpful to be able to see somebody just a little bit further along to give you a little bit of hope that this is right. what I can do. If she can do it, so can I. And just having that someone to model, even though you're both going through this horrific experience and you're crying together and doing all this together, I still can look at her in a way knowing that it gives me a little bit of hope. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes, totally. It was, I mean, it was instrumental, I think, in us just, I think even, you know, our marriage, like seeing somebody else do it ahead of you and saying like, this does not have to be the end. Right. Because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It's so scary. It's like, you just lost your kid and now you're doing this thing and I mean, people experience, any person experiences emotions different. Men and women experience emotions different. Marriages do things, but it's this super emotional tragedy Mm -hmm. that now you're dealing with and men and women do things differently. And you're just watching each other walk on these separate paths. Right. 
because you can walk on it. You can be on the path together, but it's going to look different for each of you. Right. It's, it can't right. be the same and you're not doing the same things. And just as you felt like on that first day while your husband's talking all the time, I felt a little bit that too, because we show up to this support group. I'm the one that arranged it all, right? We all go mm -hmm. and the kids go and they go to their own group and we go to our group and we're there like 10 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I need to get out of here. I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. This is not right for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm panicky, <laughs> right? Thinking yeah. and thinking uh, this is not good because it was really early. It was three weeks. It was super early. And we walked out and Eric's like, that was really good. We need to go back. Uh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, I wow. thought, yeah. I thought okay. that's not what yeah. I was feeling right now, but okay. And so then yeah. I started going back really because he did it. And, and my kids too were a little bit taken aback. They weren't want, not wanting to do it right away. And I had to say to mm. each of them, you know what, this is really good for your dad and really important for your dad. So we're going to keep on going and we're going to, you're going to pretend like it's okay with you for right now until hopefully yes. at some point it's not pretending it yeah. and you really do appreciate it. Right. Right. No, totally. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, we, they didn't really tell you, it's just like any other therapy, how your kid was truly doing. Right. But they did say to us, you know, Calvin's really quiet, but we really feel like he's absorbing. And when he does share, mm -hmm. it's super insightful for a six-year-old, Yeah, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, so he's getting what he needs out of this then, you know, he's getting, you know, what he needs and it's worth the journey because it is in our sort of our city we live in the suburbs and it's a journey in rush hour traffic and I remember those early years just going you know and then you have to get dinner out it just was a huge like new thing that we had to add to our budget and add to our weeks you know because yeah. it was every other week and it was a the way there it was a four I mean it was a 45 minute to hour and a half drive depending on traffic I mean that's a big commitment yeah you know and it just but it was a commitment yeah, it was a commitment, but there was no other choice. He, if he wanted to go, then everybody kept going, you know, right. and yeah. Right. So, well, then I'm glad it ended up being good for everyone in the long run. It was great. Yeah. It was great. They're incredible. It was an incredible, incredible place. And they do an amazing job with, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're great. Yeah. So talk about Buzzy's Bees now. When did that start um, in the whole history. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, which is weird. So I have a history of a marketing and event planning background. And so both me and my husband pretty early on, which I was surprised by my husband's was we should do like a memorial golf tournament. He's a golfer, like, and he knows that I would plan an event a hundred times if I could, you know, and I don't know about this type of event, but I was like, okay. So we're like, okay, we're going to do a yearly golf tournament. And then we're like, but we want it to be family focused. So we said, okay, we're going to do a miniature golf tournament. Okay. And then we started going down the rabbit hole of who, like what organization did we want to support? Mm -hmm. Like who, and there's so many wonderful ones, but my heart is not with research. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, there's so many things and it's like, they do amazing, th tangible things, but oh, by the way, we're giving 30% to research too. Oh, by the way, we're giving, you know, it's like, okay. I don't, I don't know. I, like, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. 
I totally hear you because with me, it was everyone saying, um, you need to go testify in the state capitol on laws against distracted right. driving or whatever. Like, you know what? That's great and all good yeah. cause to do. That's not where my heart is. My heart is not there. No. And if someone yeah. else's heart is there, great. Because we do need to right. have safe roads and whatever. And people mm -hmm. do need to not be distracted sure. when they're driving. But that's right. not my calling. So you doing, right. getting on the research bandwagon wasn't your calling. It's for some people, but right. yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of freaking work. Yeah. So like, if you're going to do something and it's not your calling and you're obviously doing it for free, yeah. you're like, man, I, this, my heart is not in this, yeah. you know, it's not working. Right. And so, like I said, in the very beginning, we received so much support that I thought to myself, if somebody could receive the fraction of support that we had received mm -hmm. and I can do it for one person a year uh -huh. and there should be no strings. There should be a connection. There should be this thing. And so we were gifted a year of pro bono attorney services just to kind of see where it went. And we said, okay, I'm like, here's what I want. I want people to come to me. I want them to fill out an application or they want them to come by us by way of mouth. And when they spin out, fill out a super basic application, I don't even want to take a death certificate. I just want to know about this person and right in the beginning stages, we want to give them unrestricted funds. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give them a check and say, pay for counseling, pay for groceries, pay for a funeral, pay for a pedicure if that's what you need. But if you don't have the extra resources for a little extra time off the counseling bill, whatever, like do what you need. The count, the attorney said that doesn't exist. You have to give, you know, there has to have a path. You don't, you can't just give money away. And I said, okay, but I, I think you should try. <laughs> and he, so he put in these pages and pages of incorporation paperwork for the 501c3. And he called us and he goes, you're never going to believe this. You need to come down here right now and sign these papers. They're going to let you do it. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Perfect. I knew they would. No, I really didn't. I was like, whatever. But it seems like they should, right? I mean, yeah, like, right. you just went through the most horrible thing in your whole life. Right. If somebody wants to right. give you money because you just went through this horrible experience, there should not be a right. reason that you can't donate money for that purpose. Right. Right. That right. makes right. sense. It makes sense to me. Right. Like the least amount of red tape possible. They don't need to fill out an apple. Uh, like, yeah, find a death certificate. So that was pretty, I mean, so that was in November of 2016. We got incorporated. Mm -hmm. Hudson had passed in May of 2016. We officially launched in January of 2017 with a big auction gala thing. And those first years, we were pretty slow to grow. Like we were pretty, you know, one or two applications a year, but it was okay because I was still very much in my grieving process. We did the miniature golf tournament. It was phenomenal. People all came together. We you know, in some ways memorialize this really horrible thing that happens because he was a little over 13 months old. It happens every year between his birthday, which is April 4th and May 15th. So in that six week time period, it's like his grief, my grief season or his that bad, terrible season. It happens. And it's something that I get to come together for him every year that that particular event. So then I kind of got in I got to know this SUDC foundation. I found out up in Seattle, Washington, there was a walk around Green Lake um, for a little boy named Jackson. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go do this thing. And everybody's begrudgingly going to go up to Seattle and we're going to walk Green Lake in honor of this sweet little two and a half year old boy that passed away. And um, they honored all the kids. So we registered ahead of time. There was a flower ceremony. It was so beautiful. And I just started walking this path. And all of a sudden I'm talking to these people and they had just lost their son three week, uh, three months before that walk. Oh. They were incredible humans. She's like this really strong woman who manages a team at Boeing. And then her husband's like a huge big wig at Amazon. And they're walking and they're talking. And I'm thinking, how are you guys doing this? Like, and people did that for me too. Like, how are you standing? And it's like, you just want to do, do it, right? And you just do. You don't have a choice. You just do. Yeah, there's no choice. You just do. But I was like, and they're just saying all the bad things and all the good things. And but all these, you know, and their story was very unexpected, but not unexplained. So a little bit different than, you know, the world that I had kind of divulged myself in. And I'm just, their son was a very similar age to Hudson. And it was just like, Lincoln was, you could just tell this beautiful soul. They just were pouring their hearts out. And I realized in that moment, and people had said this before, like, I just want to talk about my kid. Mm-hmm without being uncomfortable. And I also want to talk about their life. I am so done talking about the way that they died. Yep. I'm so done. And so we do this walk. It's a pretty hard day. We get back and everybody kind of, and we're walking with my sister-in-law, Julie, my friend, my good friend, Kaylin, where the other friend had parked in front of her house, all these people. And we go and we have a great meal. Then we all basically go back and nap. And I basically wake up from the nap and say, I have an idea. (laughs) I'm so ready for Julie to shut it down. I said, I have this idea. And it just keeps coming to a head. So early on, the other huge thing that happened to me early on in our grief is at Hudson's funeral, my husband had had these very long time family friends called the Wright Myers. And one of the daughters, Lisa, came and she said, you know, I don't have much to offer you, but I would love to help you tell Hudson's story. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, crazy lady. My son just died. I don't know why you would what, 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 I mean, what, and then later as you know, Nate and I are doing the couples counseling, we're doing the Dougie center and I am just spinning. My world is spinning and I do have a ton of support. And he goes, you know, we've tried everything traditional. I think that you should take Lisa up on her offer. Mm-hmm. And so this was eight weeks after Hudson and passed away. We're sitting on her patio for four and a half hours, she's recording me just talk about him. And two or three months later, she sends me this note and I'll never forget opening that email. And it said, friend, this was the hardest thing I ever have written, but I hope that it brings you some comfort. Mm -hmm. And it was this beautiful 2000 word story about my narrative. And it served as a timestamp of where I was then, how much I've grown, but truly who he was Mm -hmm. and how much I believed in him. And so I backtracked a little bit, but I wake up from this nap and I said, I have an idea. And Julie goes, okay. She, I said, you know how we're always talking about how everybody's supposed to talk about their kids and nobody wants our money. I mean, honestly, like, and she said, yes. I said, what if we do the same thing for other people that Lisa offered to me? Mm -hmm. 
and we just let them talk about their kids. And then she's like, okay, okay. And so then I said, but there's got to be something more because the secondary thing that every person talks about is how they have no new memories of their kid. And I said, how do we make that happen? How do we, how do we give them a new memory? So then I said, there's got to be something with art. And so Give Grief a Voice was born. So it's a project where we hire an artist. We have three writers now. Lisa is our first writer. but And then we hire a writer. We sit down and we let them, people who have unexpectedly lost a child, talk about their kids. And then after that hour to two hour interview is over and it just, it's very much led by them. We pull up a commission book and they choose an artist based on the visuals of these artists that have done commissions in the past. And then an art, their story at their approval is sent to an artist who commissions an art piece based on the story that they have told. It's just so beautiful. Right. So it's not always a portrait. Sometimes the kiddo appears in the thing, but it's all these, the collaboration of their grief journey mixed with every memory they've ever had with their kid and all this beautiful symbolism Mm -hmm. and beautiful. And they're all so powerful at the end of that year. COVID's made it a little more challenging. We had our third season last season um, where we downsized the event and just let the families come. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, it, we're a national organization. So anybody throughout the United States, and we have a few people in Canada as well, can apply to participate in the project. And we, we do an art reveal. So all the families come together, everybody that had participated that year, and they see their art for the very first time and meet all the other families who have participated within that year. So it's a really magical, heavy, but incredibly powerful room and energy. It's just, I, every single year have no words. I mean, it, it's they, okay, now it's like time for the founder to get up there and talk about. And I'm just like, I mean, again, it's a thank you. Like every single time we go to the interview, everybody's just so thankful to me and thanking me. I go, thank you. Like it is an honor to carry your child with me. It is truly an honor to get to hear your story. I'm a complete stranger to you. And everything that you're saying and doing is absolutely correct. And thank you. You know, thank you so much for sharing. And oftentimes I refer, because every single one of those kiddos, I think about all the time. And so I often refer to them as so-and-so's parents. They're not addressed as Lincoln or Braxton or Molly's parents anymore. And that's how I hold them in my heart. I'm like, I hope you're okay with it, but you will always be Andy's mom and dad. Like, to me, that's who you are. Like, that's such a fixture to who we are as beings. I just think that's, I mean, you listening to you is like listening to myself and what I do because it's the same thing, except mine is just, you know, telling the stories in the, in their own words, um, to be forever on the internet and forever online yeah. to right. memorialize them. I, I love the doing the artwork with it. I only mm-hmm. wish you didn't limit it to 12 and under because my Andy was 14. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. If you ever go up, you let me, you let There's me know. There's some big things being shaken up. Yeah. 
I will. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. And so powerful. I just love what you're doing. I cannot. Oh. I, I am so honored to share it with my listeners. And I can think of people like off the top of my head that I want to contact you like right away because mm-hmm. I just feel like yeah. it's just will be amazing for them as well. Yeah, it's such an incredible journey. And really, it is a journey. And then in the end, you know, there's certain questions that we do ask to drive the conversation. And it's similar to the things that you asked, but we hope to, um, or we will publish a book with all the stories and the artwork side by side. And it's not only to support families that are grieving, because we, like I said, you know, you're, you're lucky to have the grief center that you went to. We're very lucky to have the grief center that we went to. Not everybody has access to that. Yep. You know, there's a lot of people that live in very rural communities or even states that do not have the capacity or the things to do that. And our hope is that not only will it serve that community and somebody, if we have 50 stories, hopefully one story truly speaks to somebody else. They feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Cause if this is how, you know, I've met so many people now just by voicing it, but every single person also says it's the loneliest thing they've ever did. Well, if this is happening Mm -hmm. as much as it is, how come we're all still lonely? How come we don't have language within the culture to, you know, do this. Right. And so, but also to serve the community, trying to support those people, hopefully if you wanted to, you could open the book and just go to each quote and say the best thing somebody ever said or did to me. And the worst thing somebody ever said or did to me, we ask that question every single time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a guidebook. Like what could you do to support your friends and family that are experiencing the worst thing? But also what could you not, maybe not say, because they, people truly are scared to say the wrong thing, even though you and I, as great parents, saying something is better than nothing. People truly are scared. That's a human. You're human. You're like, I'm not going to be the one that ends up in the book that did the worst thing. Right, you know? right. right. Yeah. But really, truly, yeah. the worst thing should be doing nothing. That should be right. everyone's right. the worst thing. It's not what comes right. to your mind, but it truly right. is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing. I just know that you are blessing so many people and I can't wait to see all that you accomplish in the future. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here today. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.